There was once two men standing on a bridge. One of them was about to jump off, kind of like, you know, it's a wonderful life situation, right? And the other one's trying to talk him out of it. And the man asks the jumper, so he's just trying to talk him down. He, so uh, tell me about yourself. Are you a Christian or a Hindu or Jewish or, or what? And the jumper replies, a Christian. And the man says, oh, that's amazing. Me too. What a small world. Whether you're Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox. And the jumper answers, Protestant. And the man replies, well, me too. That's crazy. What denomination? And the jumper says, Baptist. And the man says, that's crazy. Me too. Southern Baptist or American Baptist? And the man replies, American Baptist. Oh, that is crazy. What are the odds that both of us are in this same denomination? Well, uh, the man asks him, are you American conservative Baptist or American liberal Baptist? And the man says, American conservative Baptist. He says, me too. And then the man says, are you American conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or American conservative Baptist Eastern region? And the jumper replies, American uh, conservative Baptist, Great Lake region. And the man replies, me too. This is crazy. American conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1879, or American conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. And the jumper answers, American conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. And the man pushes the jumper off the bridge and screams, die, heretic. Sometimes that's how it can feel like in the Christian walk. These little small differences that we have between us become things that we break relationship over. Today we're going to be talking about unity. Last week was our first message in our series, Ecclesia. The Bible word for church is Ecclesia, and it's made up of two words, meaning out of and to call. So the definition is a called out group, a called out assembly of people, someone set apart for God's use. And we've talked last week, we talked about how we're supposed to follow Christ's example in our attitude towards the church, because the Bible tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. New Testament scripture assumes that every Jesus follower would be part of a group of people known as the church. The New Testament, most of the New Testament is written to churches and to Christians through the church. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. There's going to be problems, but the Bible assumes that we would be part of a church. And not just part, but a functioning member, just like a body member. There's no such thing as an inactive church member. We're meant to bring something to the table because our city needs us. The mission is too big. We established that a a, a biblical church member must perform a function because our love for one another and our love for God within this ecclesia should extend beyond our walls, transforming and flowing into a genuine love for our community. Regardless of what that community is, whatever uh, is reflected in our culture, in our neighborhood, we ought to be everywhere that our community is. But did you know that God desires for born-again Christians, people that have followed Jesus, they're redeemed, to get along? That's not a a common thing that uh, church 
people think about when they think of other churches and other uh, people within the church. Getting along is not necessarily the first thing on our mind. And we don't always have to agree, or we don't even have to uh, compromise, but we have to get along. John 13, 35 says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Philippians 2.2 goes on and says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord of one mind. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, talking to this church in Corinth, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but you, you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. God not only desires unity in the body of believers, but he commands it that we be in one mind, that we have love for one another, that we be in full accord, in unity of mind, and that there be no division, because a house divided cannot stand. Christians, though, aren't necessarily known for our unity. That's not true of the early church. That was one of their defining factors. But more than any other uh, time in history, I believe that Christians are constantly tearing each other down. Maybe you've heard before of uh, a, a Christian, or maybe you've even been a part of it, where a Christian might gossip about another brother in Christ or sister in Christ. Is that being uh, loving to one another? Is that being in unity like the Bible commands us? Of course not. See, we talked last week about how God expects us to be part of the church, but he also demands that we would be a unifying presence in our church. And you may be thinking, well, aren't there times to fight and to stand up and to argue your beliefs? Aren't there Christians that we shouldn't work with, that we should be against? The one major time when we can't work together and we have to separate with other Christians is when they're wrong on the doctrine of salvation, right? There are uh, Christians that might preach works or maybe giving certain amount of money or or, uh, some type of outward deeds that are essential to going to heaven. Or Christians that say you have to be filled with the Spirit or you have to be baptized before you can uh, have a relationship with God. And these are different types of works-based salvation. And the thief on the cross would disagree with that theology of baptism being essential because he didn't have that chance. Now, baptism is important, and we just celebrated that gladly today where you publicly proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is through faith alone, by grace alone, that we partake in salvation. And this doctrine has eternal implications, so it's too important for us to say silent. Because there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. It is a gift. Christ's death on the cross is all that saves us. It tells us that in Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
So, okay, well, you just gave us an excuse to fight people, right? That we could just go and attack somebody because of the doctrine of salvation. I would hope instead that we would see them then as a mission field, an opportunity for us to tell them about the gospel as described in God's word. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus in this room with us today, then you and I have the most important thing in the world in common, and that is Jesus. So should we jump up and down about what types of Christian music to listen to or what we wear to church or, or should we uh, be in arguments over the color of the carpet? No, none of those things are important. And we can disagree and still love one another and be in one accord with other Christians. We have that liberty to have different opinions. Too often in our churches today, we talk and preach about things that disunify and distract from the main thing. We've probably all been to uh, many different churches in our lives. And in my 39 years of church attendance, we, you know, every single week on vacation, so we went all over the place in Florida, in the Poconos, did all these different churches, and I've heard messages on all kinds of weird things. I've heard messages about how men should comb their hair and how facial hair makes you worldly. Amen? How uh, Santa and the Easter bunny are tools of the devil. And if you rearrange the letters in Santa, you get Satan, right? How baggy pants are a sin. And if you're saved and in this room today, we have to know that this is not important. Jesus is better than all this foolishness. We have one of the greatest messages ever to proclaim, and it's that Jesus Christ is risen, and we can't get distracted from that. It doesn't get old. It still works. We saw that this morning, people that are still drawn to this beautiful picture of the gospel, and it's not because someone told them they should part their hair on this side instead of that side, or that wearing a baseball cap backwards is wrong. Those are silly things that distract from the gospel. And we have this thing called uh, Jesus, this most important thing in the world in common. So what do we have to fight about? And you might say, well, these things are important. And I'm not saying some things aren't important that we can disagree about. But here's the most important thing. When you see in God's word where all his people were in one accord, in unity, and in one mind, there's miraculous things that happen in his word. Explosions of revival and people changing and being made new. The book of Acts has ten times that it said that people were of one mind or one accord or they were together. And this is the beginning of the church, the explosive growth, the miraculous growth of the church. That's what precedes God doing big things with our church is us being in one accord, one mind, together. We can be different, and it's amazing. We can have our differences, but we've got to have the main thing. That's the main thing. A.W. Tozer said this, he says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? So when 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ and are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be, were they to become 
unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. See, if we would all just look to Christ and attempt to be more like Christ, we would be more in unity than if we were to look around the room and pick someone to emulate. That would be disastrous. We don't want a bunch of little Pastor Scots running around. Amen? We don't want Pastor Phil's running around or insert any name. No, we want little Christ's running around. That's what the word Christian means, to be a follower of Christ. So we tune ourselves to Jesus, not to me or some TV preacher or your political party or your little Christian club. No, tune ourselves to Christ. Paul said this about the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.15. He says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of all the saints. When we have this type of love for each other, it will make news. It will get spread around that this is a different type of church, a church that is in unity with each other, that we love one another and we have faith in Jesus Christ. Our love of Jesus and our love for each other is what will make an impact in this world, in our community, unified with the main thing, the main thing, loving God, loving people, and going. Our love for Jesus should break down the barriers between us. In a church like this, one common point of division can be age, right? How silly is that? I was born in 1950, and I was born in 2001, so that means we have to fight with each other, right? About, about how to do things. But that's silly, and that's distracting. Instead, both parties loving Jesus and loving each other and fighting against division, realizing that we're on the same team, all pulling in the same direction, fighting for unity based on Jesus. That's the type of church that can change Harrison County. When we live our lives uh, centered on the redeeming work of Jesus, it breaks down barriers of race and economics and generational differences. See, they had a situation like this in the early church. It it was a melting pot of Jews and Gentiles, and they had very different cultures and very different ways of doing things. And the pressures of society told them to hate each other. But this new group of people known as the church were different. They didn't identify as a Jew or a Gentile. They identified as a follower of Jesus firstly. And Paul addresses this in Ephesians 2.11. He says, "Therefore, uh, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, which that was not a compliment. They were seen as unclean. You were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision. That's by the Jews. Which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." 
So Jew or Gentile, economic differences, generational differences, those things are not my identity. Firstly, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ that struggles with sin, but Jesus loves me anyway, so I can show you that same love. And Paul goes on to tell them just a few chapters later that they need to work diligently to keep that unity. He urges them in Ephesians 4, 3 to be eager to maintain, that's to endeavor, to work, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every one of us and every biblical church member of an ecclesia has the responsibility to promote unity and stifle discord. We ought to be a source of unity, not a divisive force. And when we see someone with bitterness and hurt and anger, because those things, things happen. We're not perfect. There's going to be times when they, we rub each other the wrong way, or, or there'll be times where someone might not get their way. We need to push each other to remember what Christ did for us, and remember what he went through, and how he forgave us so that we can forgive each other. John 13, 35 tells us, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One of the greatest witnesses and the greatest testimonies that we can have that we are a Jesus follower is loving other followers of Jesus. People will know that you're saved by how well you love other Christians. Love should be our defining factor as a church. Gossip is one of the biggest threats to this unity. The definition of gossip is idle talk. And we're not immune, right? You would, you would laugh at many of the things that get back to us about our church. Crazy things. About three years ago, I had a city council member call me frantic because they had heard that our church was starting its own needle exchange program and providing a room where people could do drugs without repercussions. What in the world do we know about that, right? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take handfuls and pocketfuls of needles to the dumpster. We have some wonderful recovery programs and, uh, and solutions in Clarksburg, and we will let the experts handle that, and we'll support them all the way. But these things get spread, and they become bigger and bigger and bigger. And most of the time, they're pretty silly. People get bored. They get mistaken. Or sometimes they just make things up to feel more important. The Bible takes gossip seriously, though. Because gossip hurts people. Gossip hurts other followers of Jesus. Gossip hurts people that aren't followers of Jesus. It can't be something that we're defined by. When I was younger, a teacher told me that if I'm not a part of the problem and I'm not a part of the solution, that I don't need to talk about it or listen to it. And not to mention, you've probably found this out to be true, that if someone will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. Gossip in the Bible is over and over taken very seriously, listed right next to murder and blasphemy, fornication, adultery. 
God takes this sin very seriously because gossip hurts people. And our words have lasting effects. Sticks and stones are, uh, you know, they do hurt, but words, it's not true that saying. Words last longer. Our words have lasting effect, and we need to make sure that our words are true and helpful and inspiring and necessary and kind. And if we have an issue or we have a question, we need to do what the Bible tells us to do, and that is to go to the person. doesn't mean we just ignore everything. We take it to the right place. We need to ask ourselves, am I a source of unity or a source of division? And once again, we can be tempted to look around the room and say, oh, who's Pastor Phil talking about now? First off, I write my sermons months in advance. And secondly, if we have a problem like, uh, with this right now, I am completely unaware of it. So don't squirm right now or else I'll know it's you. But I don't know about and that this is something that's going on. As far as I'm concerned, we're doing excellently at this. But it is always a constant thing that we have to be aware of and we have to actively avoid. We have to be a source of unity because our pride, sin, outside circumstances are always going to try to pull us away from each other. We remember back in the schoolyard, there was one person you never talk about, right? Who's that? Never talk about my mama, right? Don't ever talk about my mama. You could say anything about me or about anybody else, but you don't talk about my mama. And that's great. It's good for you to love your mom and to defend her. But I believe that God feels the same way about each and every one of us. And when we turn around and pull each other down with our words, whether it's true or half true or completely false, when we go behind people's back and talk about them, I believe that when God hears that, he says, don't talk about my children. I love them and I forgave them and I bought them and I redeemed them and they are mine. I made them. We have no right to pull each other down, only to lift ourselves up in the process. Because it's a proud heart that's a gossiping heart. And when we gossip, we think we're better than some people. We put ourselves on a pedestal and we, uh, we look down on other people. And we know that pride is something that James 4, 6 tells us that God resists. But he gives grace to the humble. The tongue is a, a dangerous thing, and it can hurt people. And it's not worth sacrificing unity to share some scuttlebutt. Have you ever heard that word for gossip before? Yeah, I wanted a funny word, and I thought it was a good one. Scuttlebutt. When we sacrifice unity, we jeopardize the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded us. That is the mission. Not to get my opinion out or to get uh, back at somebody. We can't sacrifice unity in order to share a little bit and to talk a little bit of trash. And if you're not sure whether something is gossip or not, 
Don't mention it or go to the person or to, to, to get some truth. If someone tries to share gossip with you, gently rebuke them. You don't have to be harsh or smack them in the face or anything like that. And just kindly say, hey, look, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, I don't think we should talk about that. Or maybe we, hey, why don't you and me, I've done that before, people love that. Uh, when they come and tell me something about somebody else, hey, let's go, they're right over there. Let's go ask them. And there you'd be surprised how many things get cleared up that way. And if someone tries to share it with us, we could ask them, hey, let's not do that. Or let's not spread that anywhere else until we go to that person and talk to them. Unity is too important for me to talk about this with you. Peter encourages us to take this seriously in 1 Peter 3, 8. Check this out. It says, finally, actually, why don't you all read this with me if you would. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Check this out. Do this one real loud with them. Are you ready? For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Right there, it just gave us a blueprint for how to have a lovely and a blessed life. Whoever desires to love their life, to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. The Bible tells us to seek peace, to keep our tongue, and be a source of unity. In Matthew 5, 9, in the Beatitudes, Christ says on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. It's not just blessed are those that don't start fights. It's blessed are those that bring peace to situations. The opposite of a peacemaker is someone who sows discord among the brethren and they start drama and they start fights and the bible lists that as one of the things that god hates sowing discord among the brethren someone that is making discord is not making harmony how many of you when you sing you make discord right you don't make harmony hey we love it when you sing anyway and so does god so we can either be a peacemaker or a discord maker. And if we're all seeking to be in tune with Christ, we will be closer and closer with each other. And hey, spoiler alert, you can't always assume that it's the other person that is off pitch with Jesus, right? Sometimes it's me. Remember that old song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Start with you. Maybe I'm the problem. How many of you have ever had a, a discussion with that, a coworker or something, and they're like, this person I don't like, that person I don't like, this person keeps starting fights, and at some point you want to be like, it's you, you're the problem. We've got to start there. Maybe I'm the one. 
that is sowing discord, or I'm the one that's starting things instead of bringing peace to situations. And it's going to happen. Look, each church is made up of imperfect believers, imperfect pastors. All of us are hypocrites at one time or another. We all make mistakes. We all sin. So we must all forgive. We must see people through the light of the gospel. I need to remember that Christ died to love and forgive each and every one of you. So I don't have the right not to love and forgive all of you as well. And it doesn't mean that we don't create boundaries. And that doesn't mean that we don't have hard conversations. But it means that we love first. And speak the truth in love. A member of the people called the ecclesia is meant to fulfill a function. They're also meant to fight for unity. Our love for God and this uh, community called the ecclesia should extend uh, extend beyond its walls, transforming and flowing into the streets with love. Maybe that's what God spoke to you about today, about being, once again, a functioning church member. Pastor Scott's going to come up here in just a minute, and we're going to give you an opportunity. And not everybody's going to be able to fill this opportunity. There'll be other opportunities if you can't. But it's an opportunity for you to jump in and to perform a function and to be a functioning body member of the church. Maybe that's what God spoke to your heart about. Last week, we introduced a, a new ministry where we have people in the parking lot ready to escort anybody that needs help, whether they're handicapped or elderly, uh, whether they they need salt on the the sidewalks out here, or maybe there's someone that needs food out there, and we've got opportunities to do some new things. You could talk to Pastor Scott uh, after church if you have any more questions about that. But maybe that's what you're, uh, you're still struggling with, where your function is. Or maybe... Like we talked about today, you haven't been a source of unity. You've been maybe talking to a friend, or you've been talking about an enemy, or you've been gossiping about other members or co-workers, and you've not been a unifying force, you've been a divisive force. We're making our lives harder when we do this. It's not a healthy place to be. We have to endeavor and work to keep peace and unity and to be different than this divisive world that takes everything out of context and tries to get each other into corners so they can't dig themselves out or purposefully misunderstand each other, never giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We're not supposed to be like the world. The mission is too important. We have to endeavor and work to keep peace and unity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The band's going to come. So easy for all of us to fall into these traps. To begin to fall in love with our opinion and our way of thinking and to build ourselves up while we tear each other down. Thankfully, I really do feel like our church 
is far and away better than many of the churches that I've been a part of before. But we've got to beware. We don't need to stab each other in the back and tear each other down. We probably each have a person in our life, maybe several different people, that said to us that they saw something in us before anybody else saw anything in us. And those words made a difference to us. I could go through and name some people that told me that they thought God could do something special with me, or they, they thought that I was particularly growing in that time and season in my life and becoming something better. Those words mean all the world to us. And what if this year, in 2024, we endeavored to be a person that pointed people to who they could be rather than reminding them about their worst moments? We could change this community. Our words have weight. They can't, we can't just idly throw them around in order to feel more important about ourselves and take a little bit of truth and add a little bit of our own spin to it to make it bigger. And we all struggle with this. Let's take a few minutes as the band softly plays and ask God to, to search our hearts for any people that maybe we need to go and apologize to. Another sure sign of the beginning of a movement of God, a revival of God doing big things is confessing our faults. And maybe that's where it needs to start, before unity happens. Maybe you need to go to someone and say, hey, I talked about you. And I said this and I said that and I, I want you to forgive me. Maybe it's just bitterness that you didn't really share with anybody, but you've dwelt on it. And yeah, it'll take some boldness, but it'll make you better. It's following God's way is always the right way. And even when it's hard, it always is better. trying to become more and more like the church that God wants us to be. We saw today that being members that love one another and fight for unity and fight for the main thing, staying the main thing, is an important part. We want to be different than the world. We want to be a unifying force. Let that be me. As we continue to pray, maybe you're here today, you saw some people take that step of pro publicly proclaiming that they had become a follower of Jesus. Well, that happened in a moment, in a time where they called out to God. A few weeks ago, a few months ago. And they understood that they were a sinner and that they were in need of a savior and that they needed help outside of themselves. And they realized that because of a risen Christ, 
Jesus 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years, and then the only innocent person to have ever lived died for all of us guilty people and then rose again from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. Those young people decided to put their faith and trust in what Jesus did in order to bring them back into relation with the holy God. And you can do that today, once and for all. The Bible tells us, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is accepting that gift called salvation. And you can do that today once and for all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not giving money or even joining a church or walking old ladies across the street. Jesus paid it all. And you can call out to him with something like this. It's not a magic prayer. Change it however you need to, but it's a cry from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you cried out to God with the sincerity in your heart this morning, and ask Him to, to save you from your sin and to bring you into a relationship with Him. And you decided to follow Jesus this morning. I'd love for you to write, I chose Jesus on your connection card. And some way that I can, an email or something that I can contact you. And I'd love to be able to, Pastor Scott or I, love to be able to walk you through what it means to be a brand new Christian. The most amazing journey of your life bringing you into your purpose, bringing you into relation with your creator. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Write that on your card before you put it in the box later. Heavenly Father, God, I pray you help us, help me, God, to be a unifying presence, bringing people together, God, and being a peacemaker. God, help me to avoid any idle talk, things that I don't need to say. Help me to lift people up with my words, not tear them down. God, help us to be a church that is known to love one another as we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.